we're going to be specifically in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to be moving along pretty quickly all the way through to verse 8. But before we enter into this time in the book of Judges, I want to help you guys understand a little bit about this message, unqualified, and what led me, or at least what I believe the Lord led me to preach this series to you guys. And that's because I think there are many moments of our lives where we feel unqualified. You know, even as I was approaching this pulpit or this... uh, sermon uh, today to, 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 to preach to you guys, I was thinking about myself, and I was thinking about the fears that I have and the shortcomings that I feel like I struggle with, and just in some ways in myself feeling unqualified to even do what God is calling me to do. Because the reality is, as Romans has taught us, that we have all fallen short, Right? That there is some moment of our life where we have fallen short. A sin that we have struggled with, uh, an adversity that that has come our way, and something that has called into question our character and our ability to accomplish what is before us. You see, when we open up the pages of Scripture... The reality is, is that we come into contact with heroes of the faith, as we often call them. But in reality, if we were to take a closer look in the lives of these people of Scripture, while they have done heroic things, the reality is, is that many of them are no different than us. Many of them struggled with a number of issues that caused them to question their own worth. Maybe some of those issues were moral issues, shortcomings of their own lives or their own families' lives or their circumstances and situation. For instance, we're going to be um, studying about Rahab in the coming weeks and how she was a prostitute that the Lord used. Or maybe there was other issues like a profession, as we just experienced this past few weeks of of, uh, having to do our taxes. We had Matthew, the tax collector, who wasn't loved in his own society. But we had other people in Scripture, too, that had to overcome great odds. Maybe it was because they were a woman, Maybe it was because of a sin in their life that they dealt with, drunkenness, short-tempered, addiction, fear, depression. The reality is, is when you look at these heroes of our faith that we see in Scripture, we end up seeing people that struggle with a number of issues that many of us are not strangers to. And because of that, sometimes what can happen is the world can paint a picture that, that says you are not qualified to do this very thing. And I think Satan tries to use that in our own lives today, where he tries to cause us to think that we are not qualified to do the things that the Lord is qualifying us to do. Well, as I think we'll learn throughout this series, is that 
God is the ultimate qualifier of our faith. Amen? So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6 through 8, and we're going to just be kind of hopping around in that time. And in verse 1, um, I'm going to go ahead and read this to you because I think it helps p- paint the picture of where Israel's at, and we'll just talk about that for a little bit here. But it says in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Okay? So the key phrase that you need to remember here in verse 1 is that Israel did what in the eyes of the Lord? Did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So if you read the book of Judges and kind of flow into Samuel and Kings, what you end up seeing is a a common pattern where you'll see Israel doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord and then Israel doing what's wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And oftentimes when Israel is doing something wrong in the eyes of the Lord, you'll see Israel go through a season of suffering. So it was this very kind of pattern that eventually would lead Israel into captivity. But at least during this season of their lives, for seven years, Israel was being pounded by this nation of Midian. Now, the Midians, they come from this northwestern region of what is now modern-day Saudi Arabia. And what was happening during this time is the Midianites would come into Israel, and they would really just uh, pillage the whole entire land. So let's say you owned property, and you were a farmer, and you had crops. They would come in and steal your crops and steal part of your harvest. Or if you had cattle, they would steal some of your animals. And it really left Israel in this constant cycle of fear, of worrying when the Midianites were going to come and steal from them. So they almost had this national security issue where the, the people just lived in fear, not really knowing whether their hard work was going to pay off or if somebody else was going to benefit from it. Israel was so afraid of Midian during this time that they literally created these um, hideaway homes in caves and in foreign areas and more desolate regions in order to, to get away from the Midianites that were constantly pillaging their land. You know, I don't think we've ever truly experienced that here in our own lives, but we might even know of people in our own ancestry. Um, I know a few of you have shared stories with me of family members that you had who were in similar situations like this. And I can't imagine what it would feel like to have people come onto your land and steal the very thing that, that is part of your well-being. The thing that you used, the crops that you have, or the cattle that you own, to be able to f- uh, uh, be able to feed your family members and provide for your family. So, as you can imagine, this was a really rough season in Israel's history, as these Midianites were constantly oppressing the people. But yet, the people were still living separated from God. 
That is, they still did not go to God for help until it got so bad that Scripture tells us that they literally cry out to the Lord. Isn't that interesting how that often happens, right? Sometimes it takes a rough situation Sometimes it takes loss in our lives in order for us to cry out to God. And how oftentimes in reality we think that God is punishing us or God is away from us. But, but, but in truth, it's just that we have pushed him out of our lives. And in so doing, we in some ways remove his his hand over our life. And now I'm not saying that if you are going through trouble, that that means that you have pushed God out of your life. But at least we see in Scripture repeatedly that, that oftentimes Israel would go through its darkest times when they did push God away. Now, I love this because in Scripture, what ends up happening in verse 6 is, is they, it says that they cried out to the Lord. And the moment they do this, the moment that they cry out, it says in verse 7 that, that the Lord ends up sending a prophet to them to remind the people of everything God has done for, him, for them. Specifically, that, that God has brought them out of the land of Egypt, that, that God freed them from slavery, that, that he delivered them from the hands of the oppressors. And that ultimately, God is going to bring this nation back, provided they turn away from worshiping the foreign gods. Now, I think this should encourage each of us, because the truth is, is that we, too, may find ourselves in situations where we feel like the oppressors are upon us, where maybe we don't have physical crops that are being stolen, but we feel like other areas and aspects of our lives are under attack, and a certain sense of joy and peace is being robbed from us. And I think scripture reminds us in this moment that God is there. That all we need to do is cry out. So even though Israel was doing evil in the sight of the Lord, the minute they cried out, what happened? God showed up and sent a prophet to encourage and to remind the people of Israel of his plans and his purposes, both past and future. And that should encourage each and every single one of you that the same can happen in your life. Now, things kind of transition a little bit in verse 11, and I'm going to read a few verses for, here, for you here. It says this, that the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So just to kind of ask you a question here, do you think, do you think Gideon from here was a brave person or probably someone that was also dealing with fear? Fear, right? Because what is he doing? Is he, is he thrashing wheat in public? No, he's hiding in a wine vat 
in thrashing wheat there, hopefully trying to stay away from the Midianites because he's living in complete fear. And it says this, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Some of you guys that are a little bit grayer haired than I am might, might remember a more similar phrase that was used in the older King James Bible that says, you mighty man of valor. You guys remember that, that phrase instead? This phrase of mighty warrior or mighty man of valor is a Greek word that, that specifically means a man of power, a warrior, a tyrant, a champion, a chief, a giant, someone who is strong. Now, that seems like it doesn't fit, right? I mean, within two verses, you kind of see a huge shift in contrast from how Gideon is living and how this angel addresses him, right? How is Gideon living? He's living in fear. He's literally hiding away and, and doing his job in the middle of a wine vat, so petrified and in fear over what might happen to him and over his crops being stolen and just trying to avoid the realities that surround him in life. Now, I don't know about you, but I would feel odd if an angel caught me in the middle of that situation and addressed me as a mighty man of valor. I would immediately think that this guy is being sarcastic. I'd be like, oh yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. I get it. I'm hiding. I'm a coward. But here lies the first glimpse in this series of how oftentimes we view ourselves a certain way. We even might live a certain way, but God's perception of us is radically different than what we think of ourselves or what the world thinks of ourselves. You see, the world is quick to label you. The world is quick to say, you are a loser, you are a failure, you are good for nothing, you won't amount to anything, you aren't cut out for this. And it's quick to offer these labels of condemnation to each of us. Spend any time in the internet and it happens really, really quick, right? As unfortunately, the internet has, has, un, has made more people immune to having compassion and talking kindly to each other. But yet God sees something radically different. But even though God sees something radically different, sometimes it takes a while for us to accept it, Right? Listen to what happens next, because Gideon hears him tell him this. He hears this angel call him a mighty warrior, and, and Gideon replies in this way in total frustration and anger. You can just see this bleeding through the pages here, and he says, pardon me, my lord. You can kind of tell like that Gideon's like, 
I don't get what you're telling me right now, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You see, I love this. Because what does this show? This shows a real person having a real conversation in the same way we would, right? Wouldn't we maybe even question like that? I mean, don't you do those things too? I know I do. Or, or when, when I read maybe something or someone gives me an encouraging word about God and my mind immediately goes to exactly what Gideon says. That if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to me? Or why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian? You see, right here, Gideon is not seeing the correlation between how Israel is living out evil and has pushed God out. And as a result, Midian is oppressing them. He sees it as God has just totally forgotten them. And I think this is important for us to remember that in our darkest moments, we need to make sure we're leaning more into God versus pushing him away. But listen how the angel responds to Gideon after Gideon kind of questions him back. He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You see, Gideon is completely weak. And in reality, if, we, if he was to turn into his resume to us, we would look at it and say, sorry, buddy, you are totally unqualified. And he believes this. And I mean, he even replies and he says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So basically what Gideon is saying here, he's saying that out of the whole entire nation of Israel, if you didn't know this, Manasseh was pretty much the smallest tribe. And of all the people in this small, small tribe, guess what? My clan is the weakest. And guess who's the weakest in the clan? Me. So basically, out of every single person you had an opportunity to come to and visit and call a mighty man of valor, I think you got your GPS coordinates wrong because it isn't me. I'm the weakest of the weak out of everybody you're looking at. That's how Gideon viewed himself. That was his self-image. But what does it truly mean to be unqualified? The Oxford Dictionary says that an unqualified, a definition of unqualified is not officially recognized as a practitioner of a particular profession or activity, though having satisfied the relevant 
conditions or requirements. So someone who is unqualified, at least by this definition, shouldn't be able to do what God is calling Gideon to do, right? But the biggest difference here comes from that simple, simple phrase that this angel spoke to Gideon. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now that is a phrase I believe that should encourage every single person in this room. It should uplift our spirits. It should cause our heads to be held a little higher. And it should truly encourage us. Because what it means is, is that even though we might feel unqualified, even though in reality we might even be unqualified, that regardless of our failures, our weakness, our age, our biological sex, our limitations, that if the Lord is with you, then who can stand against you? The reason why this series is rooted in 1 Corinthians one twenty seven is because this verse here is such a strong reminder of the truths of God and the kind of people that God is interested and willing to use. And Abel's going to put that scripture reading back on the screen for us here, but just to read it to you one more time, it says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. This situation that... Gideon and the nation of Israel found themselves in, it wasn't about Gideon's strength. It was about God's strength. Amen? And in the same way, whatever situations of life you find yourself in, ultimately what's going to get you through it isn't just the strength that you have, but it's the strength that the Lord gives to you. You see, the hope that we can have as overcomers is that even though we might fail, God doesn't. See, the truth is, is that each and every single one of us will continue to fall short at some point of our lives. God may have gifted you in such a way that that maybe that's few and far between compared to other peoples in the world, but compared to the Lord, we all fall short of his glorious standards. But ultimately, that doesn't matter. What matters is, are you yielded in such a way that the Lord's strength is now your strength? If you're going through a situation in your own life where all you see is a stack of how you have come up short, 
how you are unqualified. And I want to remind you today that the way that the Lord sees you is so much different. He is the qualifier. He is the one who is able to give us the strength to be overcomers. But what it takes is living in the sovereign trust of the Lord. You know, sometimes we get so caught up on our problems that we forget that the author of the universe loves us. You know, sometimes I think about that when I'm going through my own hardships. Lord, I don't know how we're going to figure this one out. And it's like, Kevin, are you forgetting that the author of the universe loves you? That he cares about you? That he's going to will and act on your behalf, on behalf of the church, on behalf of those that call to the name of Christ? My grandpa, who many of you know is in hospice right now and um, most likely in the last stages of his life, um, one of the things that he used to tell me when I was younger and it's really sad because he's, he's, he's dealing with severe dementia. If I, were, if I were to see him, he probably wouldn't know who I was. But when his mind was more sound, one of the things that he used to tell me and encourage me by when I was struggling is he would tell me, big problems, bigger God. Big problems, bigger God. And you see, what Gideon was facing was a big problem. In reality, if just looking at things in paper, they didn't have the strength. They didn't have the military might to be able to go up against the forces that they were facing. But they had a bigger God. My big point for today is that we are all unqualified. But God is the one that qualifies us. Amen? We are all unqualified. But God is the one that qualifies us. You see, the fears that Gideon faced continued to live on. He would continue even after this moment where the angel literally speaks this word of life and affirmation and just telling Gideon that you are this mighty man who is able to do this through my strength. He continues to be afraid. In fact, he ends up putting God to the test multiple times to make sure that he's hearing him right because he is petrified of what is in front of him. And I love God's patience in this way. I don't think you see the patience of the Lord in any other religion the way that you see it, especially depicted here, that God continues continues to comfort and slowly nudge and push Gideon to do what God is calling him to do because Because you see, here's the thing. If God is calling you to do it, that means that he has gifted you with more than enough to be able to accomplish whatever it is he is calling you to do. 
So that means that if God is calling our church to do something, then he has gifted our church with more than enough to do what God is calling our church to do. It's just whether we are willing enough to believe it. And in the same way, you need to apply that to your life. God, I love how he challenges Gideon and grows Gideon's faith because you see, Gideon is eventually able to muster the courage of the nation that has had enough over this oppression. So eventually, he gathers together 30,000 men. That's a lot to be able to fight Midian, but in reality, it's a lot, but it's not even close to enough on what they need to be able to win this war. Gideon, at least, is feeling a little bit of a sense of confidence, as you can imagine, as 30,000 soldiers are ready to fight and give of their lives in order to fight for the freedom and independence of the nation of Israel. (laughs) But God goes and tells them, 30,000 is too many. And Gideon about probably has a heart attack (laughs) because he's thinking in his mind 30,000 isn't enough. So he ends up reducing the the forces all the way down to 10,000 people. And Gideon's already like, okay, 10,000, that's not a lot. But maybe we could pull some things together and make some things happen. And God still tells Gideon, nope, too many people. And Gideon ends up having to reduce the forces that are going to go against this nation down to 300 men. Now, I'm no mathematician. I'm not a CPA, so we'll maybe have Preston crunch these numbers, but... Preston, I think if someone came up to you and said, hey, we got 300 people to do this job, you would say the math just doesn't add up. But God knew what he was doing. And I love how this story starts to to, to round out and eventually come to this climax moment where where Gideon and these 300 forces are about to, to, to face off with this army of thousands. And Gideon is so afraid that God even tells Gideon to go down to the camp and just listen. So, so I love this because in Scripture, it's, 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 it's funny to me. It says this, that during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Now, this is, this is scripture, this is humor in scripture, right? So it says God saying, hey, if you don't believe it, just go down to the camp. You don't have to go down to the camp, but if you don't believe me and you're afraid, then go down to the camp. And scripture doesn't say that he's afraid, but it says this. So afterward, you will be encouraged to attack, and it says this. So he went down to the camp, <laughs> which means what? So Gideon was, was totally afraid, <laughs> 
And it says that he went down to the camp and the Midianites and the Malachites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. So there's thousands of people most likely and and there's so many people that it just looks like a swarm of locusts. And it says there's camels could not more be counted than the sand of the seashore. So he's seeing this overwhelming amount of people. But then an amazing thing happens and he literally starts to hear these people in this area talking about a dream that they had that that the Lord is basically going to give victory to Israel. Isn't that amazing? And what that should tell you is, is that when God is calling you to do it, he not only gifts you to be able to accomplish it, but he prepares the way. And he sets things up into motion that he's not only just working in you, but he's working around in your circumstances. God is strong enough and amazing enough and the author of all things that he can do this. But oftentimes we just hide in fear. You know, the man who married Michaela and I, his name was Albie Pearson. And if um, you're an older baseball fan, you might know that Albie Pearson was, was um, rookie of the year in his time in the 1950s and was kind of this baseball legend uh, during that period. And I believe it was in the, the Dodgers stadium that he was one of the last people to publicly be alive with Marilyn Monroe. And he was called to escort her out into the field. And in that time, Albie was kind of already wrestling with his faith a little bit between being this pro athlete but feeling like the Lord was calling him to a different mission field. And God was urging it onto Albie to, to speak to Marilyn and share the gospel. And he tells this story to us, and he said that he approached her, and, and Marilyn could tell that he was kind of trying to think about what to say. And she looked so distraught, and she finally went up to him and said, you look like you have something you need to tell me. And he just stayed quiet, never shared a word. And that for him, as he would find out later, that she ended up taking her life would cause him to set his priorities straight and realize that he needs to do what God is calling him to do. And you see, we do too, and we need to realize that if God is calling us to meet a need or to do something, it's because there's a need there that needs to be met. I mean, I've been surprised by the times that, especially when I was younger in my faith, where I felt like God was calling me to speak a word into somebody's life, and I was so afraid, but finally when I would do it, it the person would sometimes even say, man, I was praying for somebody to, to come to me today. And you never know how God is setting things up, which is why you need to have the confidence and the trust that he's, if he's calling you to do it, then he's setting the things up like dominoes. So Gideon ends up getting enough strength and they end up being able to take over these Midianites through this amazing strategy of of lighting torches and breaking pots and pans and it sets the whole entire army into to chaos and they all start attacking each other and I mean if I, I imagine if I was there I'd, I, I would just be shocked that all this is happening. And through Gideon's strength, through the Lord using Gideon, 
they're able to reclaim their own victory. And most of them didn't even have to do the fighting. God did the fighting for them. And in a similar way, God does the fighting for us. We're going to continue in these series, and we're going to continue to hit on people that I think will encourage you. So I want, I want to invite you to be a part of this series with us as we talk about so many different people of the faith. But I believe today's message for you, the thing that God wants you to be aware of and walk out of here today, is that even though you might be unqualified, he's ultimately the one that qualifies us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time where we get to speak about these truths, where we get to talk about how you are ultimately the great qualifier. While there might be things in our life, why, why, why like Gideon, we might be people that live in fear. Father, I thank you that you help give us the strength. You help give us the courage. And I pray, Father, that if there's somebody here today that deals with that fear, if there's someone listening onto the stream that deals with living in fear, that you would just speak to them and encourage them and remind them right now that you do not give us a spirit of fear. You don't give us a timid spirit. You give us a spirit of courage. And that ultimately... We do things, not in just our own strength, but in yours. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.